Thank you, thank you, thank you. While freedom is one of the most cherished ideals in the American mythology, there is much to be said about what it is and what it is not. Beyond the important moral conversation about freedom as radical individualism or freedom as radical responsibility, freedom is also a deeply philosophical concept. The Swiss pastor and Protestant reformer John Calvin believed there is no free will. For Calvin, human beings are so enthralled to sin, we are never free to make our own decisions. I guess that's a little bit like the Flip Wilson sketch from the 1970s where his character Geraldine made famous her line, the devil made me do it. You know, it's not me, it's sin in me, Calvin says. We are not free. Ironically, on the far other end of the religious, unreligious spectrum, there are those who believe there is no divine spirit at all that our world is simply the result of purely materialistic processes. The natural laws of physics, a little Darwinian evolution, a lot of random chance. From this non-theistic perspective, we are also not free. The decisions we make are so strongly influenced by the subconscious pressures of our selfish genes as to be determinative of our decisions. There is no good or bad, no right or wrong, no absolute morality, no religious imperative, just the infinitely complex survival of the fittest, which begins within each cell of our body at the level of our genetic DNA, our decisions are being determined for us. For John Calvin, we are not free. We are too fully immersed in sin to have that right. For an evolutionary biologist like Richard Dawkins, an aggressive atheist, we are not free. Our decisions are determined by our genes. Though Dawkins would not agree, his perspective is not far from John Calvin's and it also sounds a little bit to me like a belief in fate. The idea that our individual destinies are determined at our birth. In that Greek mythology that I have all forgotten completely since I studied it in high school, there are three fates, do you remember? Clotho, the spinner. Lachesis, the allotter. Atropos, the inflexible. Before each human is born, these three goddesses determine our individual destinies. It's all written beforehand. What happens, happens. We have no control over it. The third verse of one of my favorite Christmas songs touches on this. Someday soon we'll all be together if the fates allow. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow, so have yourself a merry little Christmas now. now. I'm sorry if you'll be singing Christmas carols for the next two days like I have been, that earworm in my head. We sang this song in my home, but when we sang it, we were not allowed to sing that lyric. You see, we were Christians, 
We didn't believe in fate, much less the fates. We believed in God. God controls all things. We believed in the motions of divine providence enacted by the Holy Spirit, not some predetermined destiny. When my father sang that song, originally introduced by Judy Garland in 1944, he was also crooning a little sub subtle theological message as he sang, Someday soon we'll all be together if the Lord allows, my daddy sang. If the Lord allows freedom. Are we free? Are the decisions people make the result of their own free moral agency? And what about those sad sociopaths in our history, the mass murderers, the cannibalistic Jeffrey Dahmer, the brutal son of Sam, the truly frightening Charles Manson? No conscience, no remorse, no sense of morality. Were they free? Are human beings free? Years ago, I forget who the mass murderer was that was discovered, but he was discovered and it was revealed on the nightly news. And at breakfast one morning at a Bible study I was in, a friend of mine called him pure evil. The man was born wicked. Well, I disagreed with him at that time. No one is born evil. We're all free. But the medicine of psychiatry may be challenging my optimism a bit. There are deep forces within us, chemical processes in our brains, genetic tendencies at work. Maybe we are not as free as, the, as this idealistic church boy once believed. Freedom and fate. What do you believe? A second book that I'm trying to finalize, I actually finished the manuscript before the book that I've had published. It's called The Power of the God Who Can't. It's based on Frank Tupper's concise theology that I've spoken to you many, many times. God always does everything God can do. In the introduction to that uh, manuscript, I address the topic of today's sermon. Uh, the subtitle in that part of the introduction is called Everything Happens for a Reason? Question mark. I begin that introduction with these words and a remembrance. A teenager in our community was killed in an automobile crash, and a friend of mine offered his speak-easy affirmation, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Now, the friend who spoke those words is not particularly religious, but he smiled a knowing smile at his minister friend because he knew that I knew the reason. I wanted to scream, yes, there is a reason, and the reason is that the boy was drunk and driving 90 miles an hour. Those specific circumstances are the only reason that child did not live to enjoy his high school graduation, though it's not at all the reason my friend felt so comfortable to evangelize about standing on the side of a baseball field. Now, I felt the moment was not the time for a long theology lesson from me. Now, maybe it should have been, because in the aftermath of that teenager's death in Charlotte, North Carolina, parents were grieving, friends were emotionally shattered, a community was trying to come to grips with yet another senseless tragedy. 
And in the ethos of this part of the country, the word that gets spoken most loudly is, God is in control, therefore there's a reason. Because moments of tragedy cry out for some wisdom, some comfort, some healing, much of the popular conventional wisdom of religion gets conveyed in those moments of tragedy. And so much of it gets shared by people who may not have given much thought to the details and implications of that kind of theology. What does there is a reason actually mean? God let the boy get drunk? Or God wanted him inebriated? Maybe that was the means of achieving God's divine plan, this divine reason. Or does it mean that God deliberately chose not to stop the car as it careened out of control? Or maybe that God thought the boy's parents needed to be taught some lesson. Oh, we drink too much and we should have set a better example for our children. Or does it mean that the boy's friends needed to learn a lesson? You know, life is short. We better get right with God. What does there is a reason really mean? Do the platitudes help at all? God needed him more than we do. It was God's will. You know, he's in a better place now. I do not have any idea what there is a reason for everything actually means in such a case. These questions that I have asked seem reasonable as a means of trying to truly understand this theology that is so easily preached and too easily absorbed by an unthinking culture. Everything happens for a reason. Really? The boy died for a reason? Now how different is that from affirming with the atheistic materialist that we have no control over our decisions Maybe the boy's genes had determined his alcoholism. He had no control. Everything happens for a reason. How different is that from affirming a pagan mythology, believing that the goddesses had determined this boy's destiny before he was born? Everything happens for a reason. And how different is that from affirming the Christian theology that I hear so often God is in control. Everything happens for a reason. Does everything happen for a reason? Frankly, yes. It's just not the reason many Christians want to affirm when they preach their conventional wisdom. When drunken cars collide with immovable objects, flesh and bone are no match for steel and plastic. Physics always wins. That's the reason the boy died. Kate Bowler is a professor at the Divinity School at Duke University. She studies the prosperity gospel. She explains that there is a branch of Christianity that promises a cure for tragedy. Most often it is nicknamed the prosperity gospel for its bold central claim that God will give you your heart's desires, money in the bank, a healthy body, a thriving family, and boundless happiness. 
Bowler was a successful academic and an award-winning author when she was diagnosed with cancer. And that diagnosis put her critique of the conventional wisdom of the prosperity gospel under a microscope. It's the very same thing that happened to Frank Tupper, who taught me God always does everything God can do. He taught that not as some ivory tower proclamation, but as the father of two small children who was watching their mother die of breast cancer. Everything happens for a reason. In the throes of her cancer treatment, Kate Bowler wrote her second book, which Amy has mentioned to you this morning, aptly titled, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I Have Loved. In the appendix that Amy mentioned to you, to, to you the appendix is entitled, Absolutely Never Say This to People Experiencing ter Terrible Times, a short list. Amy has given you the eight things she says never to say. Number five is everything happens for a reason. And she says, the only thing worse than saying this is pretending that you know the reason. I have had hundreds of people tell me the reason for my cancer, because of my sin, because of my unfaithfulness, because God is fair because God is unfair, because of my aversion to Brussels sprouts. I mean, no one is short of reasons, but when someone is drowning, the only thing worse than failing to throw them a life preserver is handing them a reason. I understand the inclination to assign the things that happen to God. I really do. I understand why people want to assign things to God. Life is hard. Some of its suffering is nearly unbearable. So maybe if it can be seen as something bigger than we are, maybe even suffering has its place. Maybe we're part of that bigger scheme. But as my friend, the late Bill Hull, used to say, suffering is not redeemed by being explained it is, it is redeemed by being transformed. In the long run, we do not help people by assigning cosmic, even divine determinism to their tragedies. And by offering trite answers, we so often impugn the character of God, and many people end up just walking away. God is a sure and reliable presence, a very real spirit of love and healing. The psalmist says, an ever-present help in time of trouble. But God is not the man upstairs, pulling the strings, determining our fate, deciding whom to bless and when and how, when to stop the careening car and when not to, when to turn the deadly tornado and when not to, when to magically absorb the malignant tumor and when not to. God is love, spirit, grace, goodness, peace. In all things, God is the energy working to bring about the good. Even in this materialistic universe, God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. But God is not the reason. God allows us to find meaning, to make meaning, even of the meanest 
circumstances. The unconventional wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes is difficult. The fate of humans and the fate of animals is the same. Who knows whether the human spirit goes upwards and the spirit of animals goes downward to the earth. You ever heard a Baptist minister preach that before? It's in the Bible. So much for the glorious theology we love so much, prioritizing human beings over all the rest of creation. We are the crown of creation. The book of Ecclesiastes says, not so fast. We are like the animals, controlled very much by our desires, tossed about by our instincts too. And what of our morality? What of our theology How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, one does not know. Wow, so cynical. The same fate comes to all the righteous and the wicked. So much for that prosperity gospel. The realism that sounds cynical is sobering, but it is wise. Let us put aside our self-righteousness. Let us jettison our grandiose notions that privilege humanity over the rest of life. Let us rethink the arrogant theologies that define the insiders over the outsiders. Do away with the prosperity gospel that prioritizes saints over sinners, religious over secular, true Christians all over everybody else. Let us open our eyes to the big, real world of uncertainty and unfairness, to random tragedy and coincidence, to the movements of all kinds of forces in this universe, forces understood and those not yet known, the pressures of our genetics and the Spirit of God that is always calling human beings beyond our evolution to spiritual fulfillment not to biological necessity. For human beings, bound by forces of fate and liberated by the openness of freedom, God is with us. No matter what comes our way, in the good and the bad, the bitter and the sweet, whether we are living the dream or enduring some nightmare, The realism of the unconventional wisdom of Ecclesiastes will invite Christians in a 21st century world to acknowledge that bad things just happen. Sometimes there doesn't seem to be a reason. But God is not the reason. God is the force the source, the love, the ever-present energy in all things who can help us to overcome, regardless the reasons. As one internet writer named Thomas Kalopoulos says, we don't own events or their reasons, we own what we do with them. And God is always with us. That you might know that presence today, God's presence Come what may in your life, may it be so. Amen.